One more item. Here's something a lot of us have in common. Broken appliances. Broken air conditioner. Broken down heating system. Broken down washer dryer. Broken down refrigerator. And if you're a homeowner, you know just how expensive it is to get one of those things fixed, let alone what happens if more than one appliance breaks down at the same time. Well, if you're a homeowner, you can get all of your appliances on a warranty plan that guarantees protection for all of your home appliances in case they break down. And best of all, it will only cost you about a dollar a day. Call the Home Service Club at 800-264-3168, 800-264-3168. The call is free, and if you're one of the first 25 callers, your first month membership in the Home Service Club will also be free. Home Service Club, warranty plan, guarantees protection for all of your appliances for less than a dollar a day. 800-264-3168, 800-264-3168. How did you come up with that idea? How did you decide? Because you had had so much success with Sid Caesar on your show of shows. Then you create this show, The Dick Van Dyke Show. What gave you the inspiration to create that? Well, you know, right after the show of shows, I nine years with Sid Caesar doing sketches. Sketch comedy disappeared on, until Carol Burnett brought it back. Brought it back in the 70s, But yeah. I was being offered uh, situation comedies. Westerns were the big things at the time. And so I read a few of these, and they weren't very good. And my wife, in her infinite wisdom, said, why don't you write one? And I said, I don't, I don't know. So one summer in Fire Island, I wrote a thing called Head of the Family, and Peter Lawford put up the money for me to do a pilot. And I said, oh, if I'm going to do a pilot, I better have some scripts. So that summer, in six weeks, I wrote 13 episodes of Head of the Family. I did the pilot. And you were the star. I was the star. A girl named Barbara Britton, Morty Gunty, and Sylvia Miles played the two other characters. It was okay. It was just okay. And it didn't work. So I went on. I started writing some pictures for Doris Day for Universal. Mm -hmm. I was having a good time. But my agent, Harry Kausheim, bless him, he couldn't stand the fact that with 13 episodes lying on his desk, gold, he could sell. And I, he called me in. He got Sheldon Leonard and Danny Thomas, who had a company at the time, T&L oh, yeah. Productions. They said, we're interested in your show. And I said, I said, fellas, I don't want to fail with the same material twice. And Sheldon said to me, and this is a pretty good impression of him, you won't fail because we'll get a better actor to play you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great job. <laughs> And it's true. And that's where they got... They got Dick Van Dyke. He mentioned Dick Van Dyke. I went to see him in New York and Bye Bye Birdie and the best situation comedian in the history of the world. And Mary Tyler Moore was another thing. I said to Sheldon, I saw 26 girls, literally. 20, right. I couldn't... I said, Sheldon, I can't find the girl, the wife, Laura. He says, uh, you'll know when you find her. You'll know when you see her. This girl came in, Mary Tyler Moore, looking like Mary Tyler Moore. Yeah. Great gams, beautiful girl. And, uh, <laughs> Great gams, I tell you. <laughs> you don't get to say that anymore, but I love no, it. Look I... at the gams on that game. Well, this was way back then when we yeah. talked like that. Look at the bowling <laughs> pins on that one. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I said, I gave her a piece of script to read, and she read the first line. It had a ping in her voice. Yeah. And I, I did this. I made my hand like a claw, like the machine in the, in the carnivals, you know, they yeah. get candy out of things. I went across the room, I went to her head, and I, I grabbed the top <laughs> of her head. And I said, come with me. And I walked her down the hall to Sheldon, and I yeah. said, I found her. Yeah. That was it. That's another thing we're not allowed to do anymore. <laughs> Hi, this is Tom Dreesen. You're listening to TV Confidential. 
in light of the passing of Carl Reiner last week, CBS aired two episodes of The Dick Van Dyke Show in prime time last week that happened to be among Carl Reiner's personal favorites. Both episodes not only still hold up, but they won the 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. time slot for CBS that night. And as it happens, both episodes prominently featured Mary Tyler Moore. With that in mind, we'll begin the hour by replaying a conversation that Tony Figueroa, Donna Allen, and I had in 2016 with Vince Waldron. Vince Waldron, author of the official Dick Van Dyke Show book. Vince talked about how Carl Reiner originally developed the Dick Van Dyke Show, as well as the casting of Rosemary Maury Amsterdam and Dick Van Dyke himself. As we pick up the conversation, Vince is going to tell us how Mary Tyler Moore came aboard. Now you've got this wonderful ensemble at work that's working. They actually cast the kid because they wanted an untested kid. They didn't want somebody who'd learned how to be a professional child. And so they got Larry Matthews, which, you know, sort of they found by he was he had like three acting lessons at the time and the acting teacher said hey they're looking for a kid over at Sheldon Leonard's uh, latest show they sent him in he read the lines and uh, Carl said okay he seems natural and they gave him the job <laughs> yeah. and so now they just needed the mom Laura Petrie the wife and they as it, as you know as it turned out they auditioned everyone they could find in the player's directory and name people in unknowns. And the closest it came was Eileen Brennan, who was in New York doing Little Mary Sunshine. And uh, she was just breaking through, you know, really great, you know, a very, very funny character actress who could also sing and move a little. And they thought, oh, how great. They brought her out, and they just didn't see the chemistry with Dick Van Dyke. Yeah, and they the, knew. The, she, that they they felt she was too strong for Rob. And, and again, it's just different styles. So they look, so they say, okay, th this isn't going to work. And I think it was around that time, I think they came, if, if I got the chronology right, they came to Danny, and Danny said, the girl with three names. Because they were apologizing yeah. to Danny because they wasted all this money that's, flying, that, this, that, that's right. they flying this Eileen yeah. Brennan lady out from New York right. where she was off Broadway. And right. they said, um, they just said, we've got to go. Danny was paying, Danny Thomas was paying for yeah. the entire pilot, yeah. which was cost. You know, I want to I sound like, you know, Mike Myers, Dr. Evil. It cost forty seven thousand dollars. <laughs> it cost the sum of forty seven. But really, that was a lot of money in 1961 in yeah. to spend for anything that if they weren't going to make a show out of it. So mm. they wanted to make sure that if Danny was paying the check, paying four hundred dollars to fly this lady out from New York, that. They at least got some mileage out of it. And they didn't. They couldn't yeah. cast her. So they went in hat in hand and said, Danny, we just want you to know we just wasted another $400. We're going to find her, though. We really are. But just so you know, and you don't have to see the bills and, and, and have a fit, have a conniption fit. And Danny Thomas supposedly was like having, you know, sitting, getting ready to go on. And his, his, his hairdresser was working on his hair. Uh, the original story was he was getting his hair cut, the, the story that Danny sold. But actually, it was that he was getting his hair dyed because, you know, he was going gray. As, yeah. And mm -hmm. back then, you know, he couldn't be gray on TV. So mm -hmm. they, were, they were dyeing his hair black and putting a little shoe polish, whatever they put in the side, the Richard Kimball shoe polish. Yes. <laughs> and, and so he turns, he stops the barber and says, stop, stop, stop. You know, what about the girl with three names? Yeah. And that's all they could remember was that the girl, and he thought back to yeah. when they were casting. Yeah, she had great daughter. legs and three names. She had great legs and, because and she was on TV yeah, playing yeah. the legs Richard of Richard Diamond. Diamond. Oh, she was, she was Richard Happy Sam. Hot Point. Yeah. yeah. Yes, but she was she also was Sam on Richard Diamond, who, who you only saw from the, from, you only saw her legs yes. and you heard her voice. So they, so they perhaps knew that, and they perhaps knew that she had three names, but they couldn't figure out who it was because they didn't cast her a yeah. year and a half or two years earlier. 
And so they told the casting, uh, Ruth Birch, who was the uh, casting maven over there, said, find the girl that we had with the three names. And so they tracked down Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, and the legend is that she was so fed up with you know all these thankless jobs as being happy hot point, dancing around stoves and playing someone's legs. And she had actually had gone to the producers of the Richard Diamond show and said, hey, listen, I'm getting, you're getting a lot of publicity of, of this off-screen character whose legs are seen. Um, and you hear my voice. Is there any way I can do some publicity and get some mileage out of this? I go, no, no, we want to keep it mysterious. We don't want anyone to know who you are. She said, well, I'm leaving. She started looking elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And whatever the truth is, I mean, if you know anything about Mary Tyler Moore and her subsequent success, you know, she wasn't going to leave any industry for anything short of, you know, uh, I can't imagine any. This woman was determined and knew what she wanted and went after it. And that's one of her greatest qualities is that she was no pushover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she was 24 years old uh, and hadn't been, you know, uh, was f- f- just turned 24, like weeks earlier uh, when they found her. And uh, she was a little bit um, skeptical that she was going to really be, uh, there's any chance in, in that she was going to get this main job on a, on a network show going from relative obscurity. But she said, and it's Carl Reiner, you know, who's a big shot. He was on Sid Caesar. So she thought, I don't have a chance, should I? Am I just going to go as a cattle call? And they said, No, 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 go down. They really want to see you. So she went in and, you know, like a professional, read the first line in, in the pilot script, which is something, you know, words along the lines of "Hello, Dottie, are you here?" or whatever. She's talking to the neighbor, and apparently, Carl tells a story that he stopped her after the first line. It's that's all I need to hear, <laughs> and literally grabbed her by the head and reached across the desk and grabbed her head and said, "Turn around across the hall. Let's go meet Sheldon. You're our girl." And she, I don't know what she would have made of this, but, you know, she, she walked dutifully into Sheldon Leonard's office and Carl said, this is her. She said hello like a real person. <laughs> and Sheldon goes, then give her the job. I've got other work to do, Carl. We've solved the problem. Tell Danny. And they gave her, you know, and, and Sheldon, I asked him, I said, so what, was that amazing? Were you thinking? No, we knew we'd find her sooner, sooner or later. Uh, you know when you see it. I told Carl, you'll know her when you see her. And we did. And he said, uh, I said, so that was, so you must have been proud then to see how how her career flowered. He goes, oh, very much so, especially since we got her for nickels and dimes. You know, <laughs> he was a producer and he knew he was, she was an unknown and he got her for, you know, $700 a week or whatever they paid back then. Uh, uh, and, and so they got this un, relatively untested young actress to be in this cast with these veterans. I mean, Rosemary going back to vaudeville and, 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 and Maury Amsterdam, who'd been on every radio show and television show in existence, and Dick Van Dyke, who'd really been a journeyman actor and comedian for at least 15 years by then. And these guys were knew their stuff with Carl Reiner's there and Richard Deacon, a wonderful cast. Um, and so Mary Tyler Moore wanders in, and, and she's supposed to be, in, in, the, in the scope of things, depending on who you talk to, Richard uh, John Rich, who was hired to direct the show very early on, um, and he knew his way around. He'd done Armis Brooks. And he also, done he also directed the pilot. And he, direct, he didn't direct the pilot of uh, Danny of... Uh, no, did, uh, didn't, he, uh, didn't John Rich do the pilot of the Dick Van Dyke show? No. He did uh, Sheldon directed the... Oh, Sheldon that's directed right. the pilot that's, okay, of the I'm, Dick Van Dyke I'm getting, show. I'm getting... Okay, I'm getting my... I'm, and, and, I'm, Don, Don, and Don Weiss directed the pilot of the uh, Head of the Family. And Don Weiss was well-known. He was like a, a contract uh, movie director yeah. who also did a lot of MASH episodes. And his name pops up a lot. He was a, he was a very capable director of uh, comedy. But anyway, John Rich tells me that, the, that Mary Tyler Moore sort of grew into a larger role than they envisioned. I'm not sure that's entirely 
accurate because Carl always envisioned the show being a two-tier, a, a, a two-arena show. Uh, Rob Petrie has a lot of things going on at home, and then he goes and there's things going on at work, and they bounce off of each other. But John Rich felt, and maybe this was him coming into it, he felt like the the wife of the of the comedy writer was really supposed to be what he called an ear, someone who's going to hear what happened. Like, oh, honey, what happened at work today? Oh, Alan went crazy and he fired everyone on the staff, and I've got to go in tomorrow and find them all new jobs or whatever. And then Laura would go, well, what about if you do this or you know? And that would be her role to sort of hear and respond. And he said it was a relatively limited conception. And that as soon as they got her on the stage with, with Dick Van Dyke, they could see that she was so capable, her timing was so good, she moved well, she was believable, and she was able to get laughs out of a simple, the simplest lines, and so they started giving her more and more material. And finally, after a few episodes, they, they had that one where she dyes her hair in order to, to, in order to recapture Rob's interest. She dyes her hair blonde, and it's disaster, and Millie Feels helps like Cruella her. DeVille. She ends, up, yeah. she ends yeah. up looking like an early uh, uh, like Debbie Harry, and back before Debbie Harry's style was the norm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's a wonderful episode, and she was crying in the episode. She cried so endearingly that really at that point they said, okay, she is going to be really the co-star of this show. Some version of that is true. I, I think that Carl would, would argue that she was ever going to be reduced to a smaller, that she was ever meant to be a smaller yeah. role. Whatever. Nobody thought she was going to be a singer. It was, she was not intended to be a singer-dancer. I mean, Rose Marie and Maury Amsterdam were going to do the variety shtick with Rob. Um, but they said, oh, well, she can dance a little. And she could dance a lot. She it, turns out she'd it, been studying dancing forever. That was her well, That calling. kind of explains her timing. I mean, she has a musical she dance has a, background. She could sing. She could dance. She was fabulous. Yeah. And, and she also looked great. I mean, she just... And uh, the other key was she brought... We were talking a little bit earlier about Maury Amsterdam, how wonderful it was that he could just, how liberated he was to just be able to play a version of himself. Mm-hmm. And they made no bones about it, then said to uh, Mary Tyler Moore, okay, you're going to be a housewife, uh, but you're going to be a modern, this isn't, don't think, forget about housewives you've seen on TV. Mm-hmm. You're not the scheming, conniving Lucy, and you're not the pearl-wearing Barbara Billingsley. You're going to be your own version of Laura Petrie's going to be whatever that is. So bring the reality to it. Wear the clothes you'd wear and and bring the attitudes. And, and so she took that very seriously and said, well, one thing is I'd wear pants. I don't wear a, uh, a skirt at home. When I'm you know, at home, I wear pants. You know, I wear these uh, capri pants. And so she sort of took it on herself and told the costume person, oh, I'm going to wear capri pants. And you know, that they, said, they said, wear what you'd be, be the kind of housewife you'd be. And that's the kind of housewife I am. So you know, I'm a professional, but I also... And so she's, she just showed up. And at first it was like, oh, that's interesting. She looked good in those pants. Okay. And then there was nervousness, you know, nervousness set in from the, the spy. We, we, nobody even knows where the nervousness came from, but there was nervousness on the set. This is a kind of a sexy look. And is America really ready for someone to wear, a housewife to wear form-fitting pants? I mean, she's not, a, she's not supposed to be a va-va-voom. She's supposed to be. And so she was breaking out of that mold. And she had, there was a little bit of adjustment, a cultural adjustment from the sponsors, you know, were nervous. One, one story has it, mm-hmm. the sponsor said, well, you know, this is a show that's selling soap and it's selling household products. Do we really want to, you know, there was just nervousness. They thought, would, would Housewives of America really buy this attractive young woman wearing form-fitting? No, no. So there was some nervousness, and, they, and, they, and it was much ado about nothing. 
You're listening to a conversation that originally aired in September 2016 with Vince Waldron. Vince Waldron, author of the official Dick Van Dyke Show book in which Vince is telling us the story of how Carl Reiner and Sheldon Leonard came to cast Mary Tyler Moore as Laura Petrie on the Dick Van Dyke Show. Carl Reiner, the creator and producer of the Dick Van Dyke Show, passed away Monday, June 29th at the age of 98. Donna? Is this true that... uh they finally said fine with the capri pants, but just in one scene that you had to wear a skirt or a dress in others. Is that true? That, that's a story I've heard. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't knocked out in a contract or anything, but yeah, it was probably a, a suggestion was, you know, she gave pushback and she gave back and pushback and said, hey, I'm supposed to be a real person. Don't tell me to wear the incorrect wardrobe. That's just going to be, you know, I mean, with all due respect, that's not what... I would wear what this character would wear. And so that at some point they may have said, you know, it may have been spoken. But, yeah, that was that's one of the stories that, that uh, I think Mary even says that. Yeah, they made a deal with me that I could wear, you know, for every scene I wore capris, I had to wear a skirt and another or a dress. and But whatever it was, whether that was there in any official understanding, it was forgotten very quickly. Because once the show became a big yeah, show. Was, was, yeah. was, the show was catching on. Yeah. And actually, I think initially the show was went, it went through a period where it was on such – tough times that there probably were bigger problems to worry about than the wardrobe and then it went from that almost overnight in the second season to this monster hit uh, a big top five top ten show and by that time you know there was no telling him anything so somewhere in there the capri pants argument but you know there it's like any show it's a, it had a troubled first season and they were switching the nights they changed the night it was the time the the, the time it was broadcast the night it was broadcast they were worried about um, the balance of, you know, the, the idea of the, the – so there's a, a lot of anxiety. The show was kind of on the chopping block. CBS actually didn't like the show from the beginning. So there was uh, – I, I think really if you look back at the history of the show from in retrospect, maybe the Capri Pass was just another magnet for the anxiety, the free-floating anxiety where the powers that be were going, the show's not getting the ratings we wanted. We got to, you know, we got to get this thing back on track. We got to get it going. We've, you know, fortunately in those days they would buy a whole order of 31 episodes or 30-some episodes. And so, air them. And air them. So they, they did at <laughs> yeah. least have, you know, from October through March or April to do what they could. But as it turned out, what they could wasn't good enough, and the show was canceled. And was this was also coming. an episode of a show that was saved during summer reruns? People discovered it during the summer. That had, the Carl thinks that was the case, um, and I'm, I, I suppose that contributed. But I've always felt, you know, coming from my background as someone who's uh, looks at the, the the landscape of television around it, I have to say the biggest uh, factor was the fact that it came on in the second season. It happened to be following the Beverly Hillbillies, which was a new show that started in Van Dyke's second season, and and was a massive hit immediately, the biggest hit since I Love Lucy, and probably the biggest hit for CBS. You know, between I Love Lucy and All in the Family was the Beverly Hillbillies. It was an instant success, and it got monster ratings. And in those days, before people flipped the channels, if you were on after a monster hit, everyone would just sit there and see what else is on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the Dick Van Dyke Show, which was arguably the most urbane, ur- urbane, intelligent, sophisticated show in the world, was boosted because of the silliest uh, cornpone show ever made, um, the, the, the satirical. Although, so, although, know, all, and we've, uh, we've talked Beverly about this on the, uh, we've talked about this on the show, and in its own way, the the. Beverly Hillbillies was a lot smarter than people give it credit for. Because, I, th- I think, I think, I yes. think that's and you know the Paul Henning show, all the Paul yeah. Henning shows. Yeah. I think were well. Green Acres the, yeah. was very subversive. Mm. And, you know, really yeah, and they got he, away with he, it. And I mean, I think crazy. you know Andy Griffith started with the whole rural mm. concept of sitcoms, and then everyone else jumped on. 
And then, uh, ironically, they wanted to get rid of all of them yes. 10 years later. Although, in, which kind of goes back to Vince's book, Vince, in the official Dick Van Dyke show book, Vince walks you through all the details of not only how the Dick Van Dyke show got on the air, but, you know, the maneuvering that took place between the time the pilot was filmed in January 61 and the weeks leading up to CBS finally ordering the show and then... There was some negotiating going on, you know, between the time they started production and before they finally were broadcast for the first time in September 61. All that's covered in detail in the official Dick Van Dyke show book. But one of the other little details going on, and this ties it back to what you just mentioned, Tony. At the time, the president of CBS was Jim Aubrey, the Smiling Cobra. And you had to, in order for the show to get the green light, you had to get it past him, and that was a bit of a work. Yeah, he didn't have any confidence in the show. Um, he thought uh, it was a show about show business, and he didn't think the television audience cared about show business. He said, well, maybe you could make the guy a, a, an insurance salesman or something that <laughs> no. people can relate to. And that went nowhere. You can imagine when Carl, Carl heard that and Sheldon heard that. Hmm. So they, they, they chose to, in, in those days, you could get around the network if you had a strong sponsor willing to say, back off network. We're gonna, we want to sponsor this. And that's really how they sold it. Vince Waldron, author of the official Dick Van Dyke Show book on how Mary Tyler Moore came to be cast on the Dick Van Dyke Show, as well as the hoops that the show had to go through before it premiered on CBS in September 1961. Carl Reiner, the creator and producer of The Dick Van Dyke Show, passed away on Monday, June 29th at the age of 98. 45 Years of the Rockford Files, revised third edition. The complete history of the Rockford Files on television, now completely updated with more than 20 new interviews, additional photographs, and a whole lot more. 45 Years of the Rockford Files, available now at rockford45.com, rockford45.com. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty Group, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call 415-886-7411. Or visit FrontPorchRealtyGroup.com for more information on how they can help you. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit FrontPorchRealtyGroup.com for more information on how they can help you.